Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Blog Talk Radio. men grace the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score, which would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we'll explore the world of gridiron grace. Welcome to Gridiron Grace Football! Yeah! On the Gridiron Grace Publishing and Broadcasting Network. In conjunction with Swick Enterprises, and we're live from the Wine for Connecticut home of Gridiron Grace Magazine. I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Grace Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Grace is the only publication in America which focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 150 plus years of football history and memorabilia. You can find us on the web at gridirongreatsmagazine.com. It is at this time I would like to introduce my co-host. He's a senior contributing writer to Gridiron Grace Magazine, a football memorabilia historian, specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawks items, in particular Steve Largent. He hails from Portland, Oregon. Mr. Joe Squires. Joe, welcome to the show this evening. Ah, the intro always gives me goosebumps, Captain. Happy to be here as always, sir. And it's great to have you on, and we're we're almost literally back-to-back with shows this week. We've got a busy schedule for July, and we're whetting the appetite of football card and memorabilia collectors throughout the world listening to our podcast. I do have an announcement I'd like to make before we get started talking. And uh, even you don't know about it, Joe. I finally finished, and I'm waiting for it to arrive in the mail, my 1964 Tops Pennants insert set after many, many years of trying to find a New York Jet sticker. I found one on eBay. I bought it, and I'm waiting for it to come in. So I'm I'm pretty psyched about that. It's been a long time, long time collecting. This, this public service announcement brought to you by Gridiron Greats Football. <laughs> Wallingford, Connecticut. I'm psyched about it. It's it pretty cool. You've you've mentioned that before, but uh, usually when you you usually at the top of the show when you interject with something like that, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, you know, somebody's passed away. Uh, you know, a football grade has passed. Usually it's something like that. Uh, so glad to know you filled it. Uh, glad glad to know you're complete, uh, and I'm glad to know no one, you know, no uh, no nobody in the hobby, no football legend has passed away. These are these are all good news. And I also point out, it is my 368th complete set that I have in my collection, 
<laughs> from roughly 1989 and back. So I think I think we need to turn the tides. We 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 tried this once where I I interviewed you to talk. You know, so right, our our, right. our listeners knew a little bit more about your history. I think we should do one step further, and the captain Bob Swick should be the super collector of the next Gridiron Greats, and I could no. reverse interview Cancel. you Cancel. or Jeff could. No. Can't do. Can't do. I can't do. Your pantheon of a hobby, Bob. I I have to shield myself from the publicity (laughs) and the stress of being a super collector. So I don't. (laughs) I won't. Maybe at at some point later on, but um, not not right now. And I and uh, I am announcing. I'll well, I'll announce it next week. Um, Got a minor change in the magazine for coming out at the end of July, but we'll talk about it next week. Anyways, let's let's get talking about what we're going to talk about tonight, and that is an uncut sheet that you picked up some info on, and I want to hand it off to you, and let's get on it. Oh, picked up info, looking for info. It is my white whale. The one thing that would complete my, uh, my set is the, we've talked about it before, the 1935 Chickle uncut sheet. I haven't found one. I don't have a line on one. I don't even know if one exists. I mean, well, one could be hanging somewhere in someone's, you know, office, uh, and they listen to the show, and they kind of smirk every time I talk about it. Uh, but unknown. Uh, but probably about a decade ago, or maybe longer, I was uh, trying to trying to find a 1948 leaf uncut sheet. And what mm-hmm. I did is... Uh, uh, I tried to figure out how, what it looked like. Uh, you know, Mike Thomas near mint cards is really good at piecing together these things. I reached out to him. I reached out to a previous guest on the show, Scott Alpa, who's really involved in the 48 leaf set. Um, and I began finding miscut cards. So if you look at the back of a miscut card, you can find what, what card it was next to, or if you see a front, uh, you can start piecing it together. And it started to lay out numerically where it just went, uh, right to left, one you know, one through seven, and it was uh, mm-hmm. seven rows of seven cards, forty-nine cards per series times two series, ninety-eight cards. Uh, and but I was about uh, a third of the way through, you know, putting it together with miscut cards when I determined how it was laid out, and then uh, a couple of the people, you know, piled in with information. They confirmed that's what their data showed. And near mint Mike put together what a virtual 48 leaf uncut sheet would look like. And about a week later, one appeared on eBay. Uh, a couple other collectors, you know, called me, texted me. I immediately got on the, the horn with the person selling. He had it as a uh, as a buy it now. I, uh, yeah, it is buy it now. I think I I think I hit the buy it now. Shoot, I, I don't right, think I hesitated right. when something like that comes up. But I took it down. And it's the, to me, it's the jewel of my collection, a partial, you know, uh, a partial set uncut sheet of Series 1. Uh, and I love it. So I've tried to uh, attempt fate twice and talk about 35 Chickle uncut sheet. Hey, does anyone have any information? Uh, so about a month ago, I just decided to dig in a little bit deeper. Um, Chickle came out the night, you know, obviously it came out with our football set that has, you know, Red Grange, uh, you know, Dutch Club 35, you know, 1935 Chickle. But really, Chickle uh, had, you know, sets previous to that. 1933, uh, they came out with a set called the Skybirds. Uh, right. And they, that, that same year, they came out with a set called the 1933 National Chickle Daredevils. Uh, mm-hmm. So what I started to do is, uh, I, for uh, for years, for you know, for years, I've been collecting what I see as miscut cards in the 35 Chickle set. Uh, if I see one, it's overlapped. But I've never found a Chickle card that has a you know a view of another card. So I, I, I'm struggling okay. to see okay. what what the border is. Uh, mm-hmm. Until about two weeks ago, I came across a. 1935 card number eight. 1935 Chickle card number 18. And uh, excuse me for probably slaughtering how to pronounce his last name, but uh, he's from Oregon, I know. But Mike Mokulak. 
Yep. Mick Mick Ulick, and I've never known how to pronounce his last name. But card number eighteen, and it's it's very miscut. And if you look on the back, you can see the border's fat, and you can just barely see a little bit of ink. Not enough to figure out if there's a card next to it. But if you look at the card, the right border is very fat, and the left border is very thin, and you can see where it butts up against another card. So that's card 18. 35 Chickle was printed in 36 cards. Uh, right. So it's safe to say, safe to say it was printed in, you know, uh, 36 card sheets, uh, four rows of nine. Uh, so if Mikulak is card number 18, he'd be the second row, the right border. And if you look at this miscut card, the right border of this card is very fat, and the left border is very thin, and you can see an adjacent card. If the right border of the Mikulak was fat, and it had a neck, it had a card to the right of it, you would, common sense would say, you'd be able to see the adjacent card, card number 19. Okay. But the fact that you don't see a card to a fat-bordered right, to me, means it's a border card. Okay, so card number 18 is a border card on the right side, uh, and there's 36 cards in a set. It makes sense that this is four rows of nine. Uh, you know, you know, one through nine is row one, 10 through 18, et cetera, et cetera, uh, which, which makes sense. So I started digging into other sets that Chickle came out with. Uh, there are no sets in 35 they came out with, and there, are, like I mentioned, there are two sets they came out with in 1933. The National Skybird uh, is a 108-card set, and there's a story on it from about uh, 11 years ago that came out in PSA where they interviewed a couple collectors, and some of them mentioned it came on three 36-card sheets. So okay. if in, in 1933 uh, the Skybird came – you know, uh, on a, it has 108 cards, and it came in three 36-card sheets, it makes sense that two years later, National Chickle would recreate that. They, they, would, they, would, they would mimic it with a 36-card sheet. It makes sense because the 35 Chickle is 36 cards. Uh, mm -hmm. the, that same year, 1933, National Chickle came out with the Daredevils set, which is 24 cards, which... You know, two rows of twelve. I, I don't know. You're just, just you're starting to see patterns from you know nine of four. Uh, you know, and who knows? Maybe the you know maybe the, the I didn't dig into the Daredevil set, but maybe the, you know with 24 cards, maybe there's a double print or anything like that. Right. right. But what I do have is a uh, about a year about a year ago, or I think about nine months ago, a partial 12 card sheet of the 1933 National Chickle Skybird set came out. 12-card sheet. So what I did is to see if they numbered them, you know, one through nine, you know, uh, you because know, it's a 36-card sheet, to see if they numbered them one through nine, 10 through 18. I took that 12-card sheet, and I went in and I found the card numbers that correlated to each, to each uh, image and mm -hmm. to see if it, it, it flowed numerically. And sadly, it didn't. It didn't even make sense. It just... Uh, you know where you know so this was two rows or uh, excuse me it's 12 cards it was uh it was a uh, three rows of four and i went like the card 19 12 6 7 8 i mean i the oh, first three i found were six seven and eight and i thought i had a pattern but it wasn't it didn't turn didn't turn out all right okay 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 so it's 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 not you're not able to confirm and or match based on that either because of the way it's Correct. way you're seeing the the skips of the numbers. Okay, that well that that's logical. That makes sense. Now my only question is so, how do they come up how do they come up with the the second series of the thirty five chickle if it's four nines on the sheet? You know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. if you have um you know one to twenty four and then you got twenty five to thirty six of the high numbers. Okay, yep. so how how does that how does that play out? What's your opinion on well, that? Well, perhaps uh, since uh, since the 1933 Chickle Daredevil was a 24 card set, perhaps uh, perhaps uh, okay. 35 yep. Chickle was done in 24 cards, and then card 25 through 36 was uh, was second series, quote unquote. Uh, 
you know, I, I wrote a I wrote an article for Gridiron on the fifty seven top set and they thought that was printed right, in two right. series. I have an uncut right, sheet right. that showed that wasn't printed in two series. So there's a lot of times where people are like, This was printed in two series but it wasn't or perhaps it was printed on the same sheet and they delayed it by a month. Uh you know, seventy two tops footballs, you know, classic for being you know, in three series. And you've got distinctive right. packs, you've got distinctive times they came out. Boxes look different. But who knows? Maybe 30, 35 chickles printed on 24-card sheets. Uh, and perhaps the person who, uh, in the Skybird uh, article who said it was printed on a 36-card sheet times three is incorrect. Maybe it's, you know, 24 times, you know, four is 96 plus right. Right. 12. Maybe, there, maybe there's a double print out there. Uh, well, I'm wondering... I yep. always wonder too, would the would the high numbers be a separate sheet that they had they a thirty six card sheet that they ran, you know, twelve high numbers in, in you know, sequential order and printed it that way. I, I mean I have no idea. I'm wondering or did they print the twenty four again and then add the twelve high numbers as a um as a filler or whatever. I, I you know, I we can only we can only guess what, what the logic was and why they did what they did, but um, yeah. But again, it, you know, it's an amazing and amazing and very informative analysis you came up with. I mean, I mean it makes a lot of sense because uh, their printing yeah. patterns were not that different from 1933 to 35. You know what I mean? I would agree, and. And I even took one step further. I mean, I looked at the Gaudi because uh, recently there was a, you know, a, a, a Gaudi uncut sheet that came out. And, right, uh, right. Okay. I looked at the patterns in that, and there, there were no patterns, you know. So how the cards were laid on the sheet, the, you know, the numbers were mismatched. So it seemed like they laid cards out on sheet more for color patterns because uh, what I noticed is they were trying to put yellows next to other yellows and stuff. So in indifferent in of the numerical sequence, uh, you know, they, they were after, you know, ink, you know, being in one area versus another is, is what I think. But right. I guess until right. a five chickle uncut sheet pops up or a four card panel or a two card panel or some severely miscut sheets or uh, uh, severely miscut cards that show adjacent cards pop up. But I mean, as people have said, think about the paper drives of world war two where, if you had a oh, miscut yeah. card, you know, maybe that ended up in the trash or the paper drive. We don't know. But for as many exactly. miscut 48 leaf cards as I as I was able to find, it was easy to piece together what the sheet looked like. Uh, right, right. I've, right. Never, I've never seen a miscut 35 chickle card. That's enough of a miscut to show the adjacent card. Uh, you know, to be honest with you, I, I same thing. I mean, in all the years I've been collecting, I I pretty much, especially years ago, when I would see a 35 chickle at um, a car show or whatever, even if I didn't buy it, I would pick it up and just look at it just to get myself more familiar to it. And then I probably pulled the gun on buying my first 35 chickle in the mid to late 80s. And I still remember to this day, I bought a Ken Strong card for the unheard of price of $50. And... Um, you know, I was just happy to have one type card, and it was in very nice shape. I graded it probably X or so. And, uh, again, this had to have been roughly 1986-87 when I bought it. And, um, again, I've never seen in all the years I've handled the chickles, and I probably started and stopped and sold that stuff three different times. Uh, I never saw anything even slightly miscut from it. So... Pretty interesting to how they yeah. were able to, you know, to cut their cards to that precision, so that really nothing exists. And again, we have the same argument we've talked about for years. The paper drives took out how much pre World War II football memorabilia paper cards and programs and you know whatever else magazines that are gone forever. So yep. it's. Uh, very, very interesting. And this is one of those things. Think about it. Think about it. It's 90, 85 years old, this sheet. Right, right. If, right. if we had a chance to ask the printer about this, they, they'd probably, it'd probably be the most basic thing. that would be, like, what are you talking about? I mean, how do we number it? How do we lay it out? I don't know. We just kind of laid it out, man. 
Uh, right. I get the feeling. Right. Like, it's like you know, it's like the, the variations of the four-day leaf. I get the feeling they'd be like, "What are you talking about?" No, we just we were slopping together ink. You know, you know, we we, yeah. we just found the leftover ink, and put it together. I don't know. I think the stuff that we as collectors obsess about now, just the nuances of the of the hobby, are are things that were just sloppy or or missed. You know, back in the day. You know, who knows? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, that, that, that's a very informative analysis, Joe. You are to be commended yeah. on it because it's, it's, it's very, you know, a lot of a lot of collectors want to know what's going on with that. You know, when, and I'm still Lloyd. I will always be curious. How did the second series ever come about, and why is there a second series? It's still it's still very very interesting to me, and I hope one day uh, I'll find out, and I hope one day you discover the sheet, and then we can figure it out. And, and we'll know what's going on with it. So, yeah, great information. Ditto. All right, I our guest is here, and I'm going to introduce him now. He's a math teacher at a community college in southern Kentucky where he lives with his wife, Jennifer, and with whom he shares four children and two grandchildren. In his spare time, he's an avid amateur photographer, enjoys reading, writing, and playing games. He's been a sports fan all his life and became interested in the National Football League after college when he took a job as a reporter at a newspaper in Georgetown, Kentucky, where the Cincinnati Bengals were holding training camp at the time. He covered the Bengals camp that summer and then got involved in the Fantasy Football League with some friends that the newspaper was working at. He hails from Kentucky. I'd like to introduce Mr. Jason Dooley. Jason, welcome to the show this evening. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Welcome to the show, Jason. Thanks, Thanks for being on. And I'm going to lead off by asking, how did you become interested in football and collecting? Uh, well, um, my dad was a middle school, high school football coach. Um, and when I was growing up, there was always sports in my house. Um, I, the first sport I really was involved with was college basketball uh, because I lived in Kentucky my whole life, and it's kind of the state religion. And uh, But then I got interested in football and baseball. And as far as collecting goes, I always enjoyed that. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, my little brother and I collected baseball cards together. And, you know, I remember we would go to Kroger and we would get, like, Topps rack packs that were a dollar. At the time, that was a big deal. So, you know, <laughs> and as I grew up, I, I um, you know, I, I collected different things. I went, I didn't really... Uh, wasn't involved in sports cards for a long time. Uh, when I went to, to college, I got in uh, to Magic the Gathering. I did that for like 20 years. And then a couple of years ago, I sort of came back to uh, sports cards. And by that time, I was a bigger football fan than uh, baseball. And so I went that route. Huh. Wow. That, that's it's funny. So many of us are similar, just, you know, how you come across it and, uh, you know, just – you know, being around it, you know, as a kid and then coming across wax and rack packs, you know, in stores. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. You're in Kentucky. Go, Bob. Yeah, I want to, I would just want to jump off script real quick. Um, sure. What was, it, what was it like covering the, the Bengals that summer? I'm just curious. And uh, did they it have was... any name, uh, big players on the team at the time? Uh, probably the the biggest star uh, that they had at the time. This was the Bruce Coslett era, so the Bengals were not oh, okay. especially right. successful. But they had Corey Dillon, and I mean he had been oh, okay. Okay. you know a thousand yard back for two or three years, running behind terrible lines, and you know just getting abused in the press for no real reason other than he was unhappy because the team was awful. And right. um, right. I uh, so that he and I interviewed Corey at uh, training camp that year, and. You know, he had kind of a reputation of being difficult or, or surly or whatever, but he was super nice to me. And, I mean, I was, a, like, a year out of college. I didn't know what I was doing. And, you know, and uh, so that was – it was cool to meet him. It was cool to, like, get to sit in on press conferences with the coaches and so on. And the biggest – but the, honestly, the biggest impression they made on me was just how big these guys are. You know, like, you yeah. just can't appreciate yeah. it on television. And even when you're at a game sitting in the stands, you don't get the – you just can't uh, understand it until you're standing next to one and you're like, you know, this guy could eat me, like literally. So that, yeah. uh, that was Corey really Dillon. Cool. Corey Dillon was a yeah. uh, running back from University of Washington. He was a Husky. 
Uh, yep. And yep. I'm a, I'm an Oregon Duck fan, and uh, I remember when he was coming up and through. A friend of mine had a bunch of tickets, you know. So I mean, I didn't, I didn't have tickets of my own, so I'd go, go with him. And we went uh, to UW, you know, Oregon, Oregon played UW uh, that year at, at in Washington. We went there, and I didn't know, I didn't follow college football a lot. All I know is some dude named Corey Dillon torched the Ducks for like 250 yeah. yards that day. I don't know how many times I looked at my friend, I'm like, who the hell is this guy? Uh, and it was right about then when I really began to follow uh, college people flipping over to pros. So, it, you know, so when I see Corey Dillon, I'd be like, oh, I know, I know who that guy is, you know, because I remember him. Yeah. It's just uh, – yeah, he was – But Corey Dillon is one of the first. Oh, yeah. yeah, I saw him. Uh, my boss at the paper uh, had season tickets to the Bengals, and uh, he gave me and my wife tickets that uh, the end of that year. They were playing the 49ers. It was the Steve Young, Jerry Rice 49ers. Oh, but well, Young was well. hurt, and um, Dylan just torched them. Like he had, I think he had ended up with 230 yards and three touchdowns that day, which I was excited because I had him on my fantasy team. But I mean, he was, I was very excited when the Patriots picked him up a couple of years later. I'll put it that way. Like, yeah. So, so, so you're you're a pretty avid, you know, Patsy fan. I mean, uh, some of the pictures, of, you know, some of the yeah pictures of cards you sent over yesterday, pretty amazing. Uh, some you know, there's there's you know, a couple different types of fans, you know, that Bob and I discover. The people who, like, you know, me, who've grown up, you know, in the Pacific Northwest, followed the team our whole life, or the people who jump on a bandwagon. So are you <laughs> – which are, – are you a bandwagon Patriots fan, or are you collecting uh, Kansas City Chiefs this year? No. Um, so – I, I can and a, am a bandwagon fan, but not the bandwagon you're thinking of. So uh, when I was ten, and, and I say that when I was, yeah, I say I say that just Jason, half just. So <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, but but really, like I didn't think about it this way at the time because I was ten years old. But the, I mean, this is what happened. The first real professional football game I ever watched on television with my dad was the 1985 AFC Championship game uh, between the oh, Patriots wow. and the Dolphins, the Squish the Fish game. And I mean, I was 10. I didn't know anything, you know? And so, but the, the Patriots were a great story that year. They've been a wild card team. They won two games on the road. They had this like unheralded backup quarterback, uh, Tony Eason, who was starting because Steve Grogan was hurt and they went down to Miami and they had literally never won in Miami and they won the game. And I was like, well, this is my team. And then like a couple of weeks later, I was at the grocery store in my hometown and I bought a pack of football cards. I had never, my brother and I bought baseball cards all the time, but I had never even seen football cards before. And I bought a pack, and there was a Tony Eason card in it. So it was like kismet, you know? Like, this is my team now. So, yes, I'm where'd a bandwagon fan, up? but not the Brady Belichick bandwagon. So, where'd, where'd you grow up? Uh, Southern Kentucky. I've lived here all my life. Oh, okay. Or, so, well, not here, I, not where I live now, but like within a couple hours of here. Yeah. I. I don't consider you a bandwagon fan if you've lived through a downturn. So, I mean, if you put up with the Patriots of the 80s and 90s and made it into 2001, you're not a bandwagon guy. Uh, if I had you understood know, I, when I was 10 the history of futility that the Patriots had, I don't know that I would have become a fan. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, but, you know. Well, to- to really, to really date myself, and I've told the story numerous times. Joe, Joe knows the story. 1976, my buddy would get free tickets to the Patriots in Foxborough. He worked in a sporting goods store, and we would drive up. My mom would make us sandwiches and, and throw in some soda, cans of soda, and we'd drive up to Foxborough to watch the game. And we'd always leave early because there was only one way into Foxborough and one way out. So it'd take like two hours just to get out of Foxborough, and then we had another, you know, good two and a half hour drive back to Connecticut. But uh, I uh-huh. distinctly remember t- uh, going. We went a couple of Sundays where we just walked up and bought tickets at the gate, and ended up moving down literally to like the twenty thirty yard line by the end of the game. And uh, truly amazing what what's happened uh, with that franchise over the years. But I do remember the. The very lean years of the seventies they were going to several games and uh wow. It was bad. And uh Schaefer Stadium at the time was just a woman of benches that you sat on and that was it. 
And it was probably one of the yeah. most uncomfortable benches uh, that I ever sat on at a game. But anyways, uh, yeah, you're definitely not a fair weather fan, and you're definitely not somebody who jumped on the bandwagon because, uh, yeah. you know, you go back go back quite a ways, to say the least. So that's good. Well, Jason, you just got the blessing of the captain. You are officially a Patriots <laughs> fan. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. So okay. your coin, cool. your, My... he'll, he'll mail your coin out. He'll mail your coin out to you. So is that how you got into collecting it? Is that how you got into collecting, is buying that uh, that football wax pack when you were, you know, in line at the grocery? Well, kind of, but then, I, I, like I said, I moved into other things for a while, and I just came back to uh, football and sports cards like a couple years ago. Um, I like collecting it. Like, I have a very uh, – like, well, I'm a math teacher, so I think very systematically. I like organizing things and alphabetizing things. And so I've always collected, I've collected records and magic cards and first one thing and then another. And I just came back to sports. It's sort of my two passions together. So, nice. Now, Jason, let us know or tell us about uh, what you feel your six top cards or pieces of memorabilia in your collection and describe them to our audience. I know you sent us over a bunch of pictures. Uh, which Joe uh, flipped out when he saw him. I had to really read what you had wrote there about five times, and I forwarded it to Joe again because I knew he needed the impact of it. And and I want to before you get started. Hold on, I got to bring it up on my screen. I'm going to I'm going to read to the public, our audience, what you had said to us. If I can get it, hang on. But anyways. Uh, Someone's got some very loud first, birds uh, in the background. Tell us about your first uh, first top uh, six that you're choosing. I'm going to get this. My computer is very slow here. Okay. Uh, well, so the first thing I want to tell you about is I have a, a Patriots mini helmet, um, of the original Patriots helmet, the one with the tri-corner hat on it um, that is uh, signed by Gino Capaletti. And so I'm pretty Ooh. fond of that. I don't, I'm not old enough to remember Gino playing, but I remember very well him as an announcer. And, you know, okay. he called all the way up until, you know, about 10 years ago. So I have listened for a long time. I mean, like where I live, you couldn't get the Patriots on television because they were bad. And so the radio was kind of all there was. And so I've listened to a lot of, of uh, games called by Gilbrandt and Gino Capaletti. So I'm, I'm quite fond of that. And then uh, the next three things I picked, uh, I'm a big autograph collector. When I was a kid, uh, my brother and I collected baseball cards. We would go to Reds games uh, in Cincinnati, and we would always go early for, ball, uh, for batting practice, and we would take cards down to the field and try to get the players to sign them. And so that, that was always cool. And I mean, now they're a lot easier to get. You could just bump in them in packs. But um, So I have three autograph cards I picked. Um, and they're three of the, the – in my opinion, there are three Patriots players who uh, are in the conversation for the best ever at their position, uh, Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, and John Hanna. And I, I have autograph parts of all three of them. Um, the Brady is from last year's Panini 1. Uh, the Gronk is from 2015 Topps uh, Five Star. And then the Hanna is a reprint of his rookie card that Topps issued in 2001. Um and then, because I'm a Patriots wow. collector, I have I have six Brady rookies. My favorite one is uh, a 2000 Bowman uh, that's be- graded by Beckett. It's a yeah. it's a Beckett nine, um, so it's really nice. And then the last thing that's, I picked is that's a good looking. Far, that's a good looking that that, that that 2000 Bowman. That's a good looking card too. Yeah, I need a chrome one, but they're so expensive, so I don't know. That's that's a ways down the road. Um, and then the last thing I picked is by far the least uh, valuable or impressive of the six, but I just like it a lot. Um, it's a top uh, commemorative set. It's 11 five by seven cards uh, in the style of 1985 tops cards, which was, like I said, the first pack I ever bought was 85 tops. Oh, yeah. And it's all about yep. Super Bowl 49. So it's my favorite Super Bowl. I remember like watching that game as vividly as I'm talking to you. Um, and so it's my favorite game in my the set from my childhood, so it's really cool. Uh, it's one of my favorite things in my 
collection. It doesn't. It's not worth anything, but it's cool to have. You know. Uh, I remember now, watching that game. My. Go ahead. Did you get those autographs uh, in person, or did you buy them? Oh, I'm sorry, Bob. I didn't mean to step on. No, but, well, uh, they're on card. They're on card autos. So they, they came out of the pack that way. Oh, okay, got it. They're they're not in person yeah, autos. Yeah. I I remember oh, those. But getting getting back to the email that you sent us, um, I got to read this line because I almost had a stroke when I read it. At present, my collection totals 8,897 unique cards. This includes variant printings, et cetera. 575 unique player names includes players, coaches, cheerleaders, even random celebrities who have appeared on cards related to the Patriots. I have 887 unique Tom Brady cards, 544 Drew Bledsoe, and 355 of the Gronk. My goals by the end of the year are to top 1,000 Brady's, and 10,000 cards total. Now, here's the kicker. This is, this, is, this is the last sentence that just brought a smile to my face. The breakdown is 120 cards from the 1960s, 210 from the 1970s, 370 for the 1980s, 2,777 for the 1990s, a mere 1,964 for the, 2000, for the zero zeros, 3,384 cards for the 10s, and a mere 72 <laughs> cards so far issued in 2020. Do you see a pattern there, if anything? Oh, wow. That is yeah, unbelievable. It, like the I proliferation of cards. That. That's the crazy thing, That's right? I mean, like, when you were, when I was a kid, when we were collecting baseball cards, right, like, there's more baseball cards than football cards. But, like, you know, if we wanted <clears> – <throat> our favorite team was the Reds, right? So we want a Reds team set – like 25 cards and then now there's that many tom brady cards every year like or more like probably way more than that so it it really is a different environment for better Mm -hmm. or worse i guess yeah it's it's mind-boggling the sheer volume which is why i i prefer it you know you know i did do the top sets up to when they stopped in 2015 but i just i just have no gumption to collect, you know, 4,000 cards from the, you know, 2010 to 2019 era yeah. of one team, well, you, know, you like, know, and have, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, I don't remember how many cards I said I have from the 70s, but, like, I pretty much have every Patriots card issued for the decade. I'm missing, like, half a dozen, maybe, right? Nice. There's that many yeah. in any, like, I have that many of some players from the current team and not even like the stars. Like I obviously have a lot of Tom Brady, but like I have over a hundred cards of guys like Damian Harris who played like six snaps last year, literally. Like it's just crazy how the hobby has changed. Yeah. Well, the the tops when they're, you know, when you're printing a, you know, four or 500 card set, you can only do about, you know, 10 or 11 players from each team. So, you know, you know they used to limit them, or you know, when they were smaller. But I call well, now six hundred Tom Brady cards and five hundred Drew Bledsoe cards. I call that a good start. Uh, yeah. You know, from from one player collector to another. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the thing is now, like Panini will make a four hundred card set. There'll be three Patriots, unless there's like this year because they didn't draft a quarterback and, they, and there's no like uh, highest drafted. Uh, offensive players they have are tight ends in the third round. So, like, you'll have a yeah. set. It'll have, like, Stefan Gilmore, Julian Edelman, Tom Brady. That's it. Like, no other yeah. Patriots. So, that's yeah. also yeah. different because even though there were fewer, uh, there were more players even in, in those days. So, it's weird. Yeah. Yeah. So, obviously, if, if, work, work, working on a pretty good team collection. Uh, I mean, do you have any – any interesting stories in your journey uh, to collect everything Patriots? Um, not, I don't know. Not that I can think of. Like, I've met some really cool people. Uh, one of the first things I did uh, when I started, when I got back into collecting was I really wanted to build a 1985 top set just because it was the first that I had. And I'd almost finished it. And then I was on eBay and I saw a complete set with all of the wax box cards, the, the book, the box bottom cards 
uh, for yep. like 30 yep. bucks. And so I bought it, and it turned out the guy who sold it lived like 20 minutes from me. And so I met Ooh. like this guy who uh, – so, you know, things like that, it, it's kind of cool um, that I've I've made these connections through the hobby that I didn't have before. I, I've enjoyed that as much as anything else. And, and like, uh, the, the vintage boards that you guys are on, like, I really enjoyed that aspect of it, which – Obviously, that wasn't a thing in 1990 when I was, you know, in baseball cards or whatever. So, uh, so that's that's seeing how the hobby has changed has been really interesting to me. Hmm. Now, since you have almost every Patriots card ever printed, do you have a want list? And if you do, what are you looking for right now? Um, I really need a Richard Seymour autograph. Um, like I, I have most of the like key players uh, on autograph cards from the Belichick era. I'm missing Richard Seymour. That's one big one. And Steven Gostkowski, that's another one. So I'm looking for them. Um, the big one I was missing before was Julian Edelman because he doesn't find very many cards anymore. And so basically they're all like 10 years old and hard to come by. But I finally picked one of those up uh, earlier this month. So those are a couple. And then other than that, I just want more cards. Like, I pick up a lot of oddball stuff and stuff. So I'm happy to, like, look through quarter boxes and 10-cent boxes at shows or whatever. And I'm like, oh, this is a cool Patriots card. I don't have it. I'm going to get this one. Like, I don't need them. They're just cool to have, you know. I, I hear that. I, yeah. I I can appreciate that. Now, including in all your cards, do you, I will <laughs> assume you collect oddball cards, insert cards, and things of that nature of the Patriots, right? Oh, sure, sure. Okay, all right. Like, I, I was on vacation last week um, down in Tennessee with my wife, and we went to, like, some antique stores and stuff, and I found a poker chip with Drew Bledsoe's face on it from, like, oh, okay. 1997. Yep. I was like, this is awesome. Yep. I'm doing this. It's completely random. But oh, it's cool it's... to have. But, like, I've got phone cards, like, all kinds of stuff like that, too. Uh, Drew Bledsoe, also, another uh, another husky, right? The, um, yeah. Just to throw out, I don't know if you guys uh, read or heard, uh, Bill Belichick did a commercial for Subway, and he was basically <laughs> two towns away from me here, eating a Subway on the Branford Green, Branford, Connecticut Green, and getting it filmed. Uh, totally nondescript. No one knew about it. And then it went viral when they found out that he was doing the commercial there. So uh, if I had known it, I would have tried to drive over and uh, (laughs) just take a look at the – My prediction of of that commercial is Belichick taking a bite. Really, that that face of his that shows zero emotion, (laughs) looking up and going, wow, good sandwich. I mean, and that, I think yeah. that's the, I think that's yeah. the commercial is just the, you know pre, you know playing on that uh, you know. That, yeah, I that, feel like that that's too much. The, the, Belichick would not be that effusive. He he would be just like, hmm, okay, we're doing okay. Like it's only like <laughs> I don't know. As someone who's watched an it, inordinate I, number of Bill Belichick press conferences, like <laughs> I, I don't uh, sometimes I. It's so funny to watch him because, like, he'll get asked a question and he'll, like, give a one-word answer no matter what. Like, we're on to Cincinnati. But then it, someone will ask him about some trivial thing about lacrosse and he'll go on, like, a 45-minute lecture about it. It's completely – I don't know. He's one of the most interesting people just because he, he has this depth of knowledge, but he doesn't want to talk about it, you know? So Yeah. yeah. No, he's great. So, uh, obviously, the uh, the news of the day – is TB12 Tom Brady leaving New England, which I, I'll be honest, I never thought he would. I thought he'd want his legacy there. But uh, what are your thoughts on TB leaving uh, leaving the you know the Patsies and uh, taking Gronk out of retirement? Uh, well, I was with you. I didn't think he would leave. I, I felt like both sides were pretty heavily incentivized uh, this year to keep him in New England, but. Once it got to be uh, close to free agency and he hadn't signed, I was like, well, now he's probably, he's probably wants to go. And, you know, I, I mean, I'm of two minds about it. Like I hate that Brady's going somewhere else. Um, I will miss watching him this year um, as a Patriots fan. But at the same time, I feel like if you're a Patriots fan and you're upset because Tom Brady left the Patriots, 
that is the NFL's version of first world problems right there. Like this is the oh, thing yeah. you've chosen to be mad about. Like, so, oh, yeah. you know, after 20 years of unprecedented success, it, you can't, if you're a Patriots fan and you're mad at Tom Brady, you're probably doing it wrong. You know, like, yep. it, no, exactly. So, yeah. and also I think it's going to be interesting to see how they reinvent themselves without him. Um, because, yeah. The last few years, some of the time, it did seem like the plan was we're just going to let Tom figure it out, you know, and whatever happens, happens. Tom will figure it out at the end. So it, it will be interesting to see them, how they how they change, how they progress. I'm excited about Cam Newton. Um, I'm excited about Jared Stidham. Like I, I want to see what this team is uh, without Brady. So I'm looking at it from that perspective for the most part. Good attitude. I like it. And, and I agree with you. Anybody who brings me eight Super Bowl uh, visits and six rings, thank you. Nine. That's all I can say. Nine. Thank you. Not nine. Oh, beg your pardon. Uh, it's all yeah, I can sorry. say. Thank you, man. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, no, exactly. I, you know, to me, to me, it's not logical why they, they, you know, why wouldn't you say, Tom, whatever you want to do, you do, and that's it. You want to go another year, you go another year. And I, and I still wonder, in a way, Belichick was, if Belichick was saying to Tom. You know that's it. You're done. I, I want to move on with that type of thing. And uh, I, I, in a way, I can see it. In a way, I can't see it. But again, uh, you know, Tampa made him an offer that he couldn't refuse, and he took it. And uh, well, think, he's the king of Tampa Bay now. I, so I think if Belichick, I, I think Belichick was ready to move on from Brady four years ago, um, before when we yep. draft, when they drafted Jimmy Garoppolo, and then Brady outperformed the system. Right, like, because I think the plan was um, that was 2014. I think after 2015, uh, when Tom's contract expired, he he was going to be. They were going to let him go then, but you know yeah. they won a Super yeah. Bowl. They went to the AFC Championship game. Tom was having as good a spell as he had in his career, and so like at that point, Belichick was like, "Well, this is. I, I mean, obviously, I have misevaluated this." And give Belichick credit, like, throughout his tenure, he has done what is best for the team. And so he was like, okay, I was wrong. And he traded Garoppolo, uh, and a lot of people crucified him for not getting more than he got. But I feel like at the point he traded him, they didn't have any leverage. That was all there was, so he took it. Um, And then, you know, I I think it was more that Brady was just ready to try something else, that he was at a point. And the other thing about it is – if he had re-signed a deal similar to what he got in Tampa, I think Kraft and Belichick would have given it to him. I think that was honestly their first choice, um, but I don't think Brady wanted it because because it would have forced them to make a lot of other cuts. They would have had we were right, they only had right. about a million dollars in free cap space, so they weren't going to be able to hand Tom a twenty-five million dollar contract uh, without right, you know right. probably losing Joe Thune, maybe a couple of other players. So it was a. It was a comp. There were a lot of moving pieces, and but I, I think the overriding thing at the end was that Tom just wanted to go somewhere else, which, you know, he's earned the right. I, yeah. Yeah, he, he's the greatest to ever lace him up. Uh, there's zero doubt oh, about for sure. that. For sure, I got to see him four times. I'm ecstatic about that. Like, you know, and, and I, I mean. Like I said, you, you just can't be mad at the man after he's brought your oh, franchise. No. Like, just unprecedented. Okay. All right. Well, Bob, you want to slip the quiz in before the last uh, yeah. Yeah. last question? Yeah. I need to I – for future shows, I need some bumper music so when it comes up. Just something funny like, uh, you know, the Benny Hill theme or something like that. <laughs> or Jeopardy, maybe. I'll have to do it next time. you got to get me more uh, – Notice, so yeah, yeah, let's work. <laughs> All right, these are fun, Jason, and uh, they're meant to be fun, they're whimsical. So just uh, go with your gut, go with what your first thought is when I, uh, you know, when I ask these. Okay, okay, who's the, who's the better matchup, Dave Craig to Steve Largent or Tom Brady to Randy Moss? Brady Moss. <laughs> I don't even need my gut for that one. McLargent's awesome, but <laughs> Moss was ridiculous. 
Yeah, all right. You you won your you won me back with Largent's awesome. All right, I'll, I'll give that to you. Okay, question number two. Better team, 2013 Seahawks, who beat the Denver Broncos 43 to eight, or the 2017 Patriots, who eked out an overtime win against Atlanta 34 to 28. For the season or for the game? Who's the, who's the better team? So I think it's honestly the, I mean, the 2017 Patriots, like everything gets wrapped up in that last game because it was so dramatic, but that team was 14 and two, like, and they were destroying people. We went 10 and 0 without Gronk. So I got to go with the 2017 Pats. That is incorrect. I'm sorry, Jason. You're one for one. You're one for two. You're doing good. Fair enough. Okay. All right, question number three. Better coach, Mike Holmgren, Seattle Seahawk great. Sorry, Bob. <laughs> or Booty. Uh, I, I don't feel like there's a right answer here, but Belichick, with, without a doubt. Like he's Bob, the best there ever was. Holmgren, Bob no, Dybreaker. Holmgren, Holmgren got us in 1996, so I got to give him that. But that was with the Parcells drama. So, you know, I I still don't understand why Mike left the Packers. I really, I Me just neither. don't get it. I, I I never I never got it. And I know of Mike Sherman from college because he played for Central Connecticut. I went to Southern Connecticut, which is in New Haven. Central was in New Britain. I actually watched him play football against our team back in the seventies, and uh, he. Grew up in Stanford, Connecticut. Real nice guy, but I, I just don't get why Mike left at the time he left. He probably would have won a couple more championships yep. with the Packers. Favre was very nice. I felt like he wanted more control. I felt like he wanted more control. Documentaries. Yeah, after they were offering it to him. After watching those Packers documentaries, I really questioned it. But no, the Packers were offering him the same thing the Seahawks gave him. Uh, that, that's yeah, it. exactly. Oh really? I, I mean, I don't, I don't get it. I still don't get it. I still don't understand that to this day. So. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is strange considering. I mean, like not to denigrate the Seahawks, but you were going from like this classic franchise to kind of an upstart. So I, yeah, I don't watch it. Watch really it. Watch it. Watch it. <laughs> Thin ice there, Jason. From classic Green Bay to. You you better just trail that off. All right. Yeah. Next question. (laughs) Fair enough. Next question. All right. Who had better hands in clutch situations, Julian Edelman or Steve Largent? Largent, for sure. Edelman, like, people forget this, but Edelman's had, like, uh, the the playoff game that they lost in January, like, we had a third and six uh, driving, and all we needed was a field goal. We were on, like, the 45-yard line, and Edelman had a big drop. Like, he just dropped it. Like, yep. Brady put it where it had to be, and he dropped it. So that's, yep. I mean, yep. don't get me wrong. Like, Jules is awesome, but, but you know, he blew it. So, it happened sometimes. Yeah. But largely, right. even, I mean, even Michael Jordan missed free throws. But, but no, yeah, sure. Getting back to the quiz, <laughs> you are correct, Jason. It is Steve Largent. Uh, oh, and my notes to that question is, only, only one of them has a bust in Canton. Yeah. Only one of those two it has a has a uh, has a gold jacket. All right, let's level It'll the be, playing ground, playing playing field. Okay. Yeah. I was going to no, say go, Edelman will question. be an interesting candidate. It, it, he'll be okay. kind of a borderline guy, but I don't think he gets in. But I, I didn't think he had a chance until last year's run when he got the MVP in the Super Bowl, and that's when I realized like the only player he's behind in postseason is Jerry Rice, and. I don't know how much that's going to count, but it should count for something, right? Like, I, anyway. I do. All that matters, stats don't matter. Just ask Dan Marino. All that matters is, <laughs> you know, those Super Bowl wins. Um, yep. All right. Let's level the playing field here a little bit. Who's the better offensive lineman? John Hanna, Walter Jones. Seahawk great. Man, like, wasn't jo- Jones was a tackle, right? He was a tackle, and Hannah yeah, was a guard. Hey, uh, Hannah was the best guard ever. Jones is in the top two 
tackles. So I don't know. It's not the same position. I, I don't know. I'm going to say Hannah, but that's some homerism there. I admit it. <laughs> you are correct. You are correct. You you had it with. They played different positions. They're both great in their own unique way. That is the correct answer. All right, last yeah, like question. My... Oh, no, go for it. Jump in. Well, I was going to say, my dad's a big Bengals fan, and when I was a kid, like Anthony Munoz, also an awesome tackle. So I, that's why I can't say Jones is definitely number one. But anyway. Yeah, Munoz is definitely up there. there there's no doubt about it. But Hannah, somebody, I forget who it was, but somebody described Hannah as being the most cerebral football player they'd ever coached. Uh, I forget right. who that was. Right. So I've always tipped my hat to Hannah. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that was a guy from Emma. Oh, oh, goodness. Last questions. Who wins? Yep. Who wins this two-on-two skins versus skins game? Uh, so just shirts off. Jim Jim Zorn and Steve Largent, Tom Brady, <laughs> Gronkowski. <laughs> well, skins. Okay, like skins <laughs> versus skins. Are they playing football or basketball? Football. Like either way, either way, Gronk. I mean, like whoever else is out there, like Gronk is like three of those dudes. Like speaking of large men, Rob Gronkowski is just a monster. Like that dude, he's huge. So I, I got to go with Brady and Gronk. I wrote down the correct answer is we're all the winners in that situation. We get to watch that would be, it would be an incredible game to watch. I feel like. We are all the winners to watch that skins versus skins game. So, all right. That's it. You did well. You did You got three out of six. Nice job, Jason. You just got to remember you, where bro. these questions are coming from. They have to have a large and spin. Yeah, that's cool. Hey, Jer- I, I appreciate Steve Argent. I'm Jason, sorry. We're almost out of time. We're almost out of time. So I got to, I'm going to wrap this up. Please give me or give our audience any advice that you have or thoughts on collecting for beginning collectors. Just collect the thing you like. Don't worry about like value. Like if you're just trying, if you're just chasing a dollar, you're never going to really be happy with it. So, and it, it, there's so much sunk cost involved in your hobby, no matter whether it's football cards or records or, or whatever it is. So if you're going to be unhappy when you're done, why are you bothering? Like, just if you just want to get money, just get a job or buy stocks or something. It won't <laughs> be as fun, but but it'll be worth more, you know. So or, that's my or, that, point of view there. That is the correct good. answer. Good advice. Good advice. Good Thanks. advice. Jason Dooley, we're almost out of time. Thank you for being on. Uh, great well, talking to you. We'll be in, we'll be in touch. And, All right. Well, uh, thank you guys so much. It was I have enjoyed this so much. If you ever like me back, just let me know. We will. Thank you for being on. Jason thank Dooley, you, Jason. Thank our, you, our guest tonight, and we're down to less than two minutes, so we got a real fast two-minute warning and wrap-up. Joe, I'm going to hand it off to you. What'd you pick up on tonight's show? <sighs> more questions than answers on a 35 chickle uncut sheet. The more I was talking, the more I'm like, damn it. 24-card sheet, 36-card sheet. Yeah, I just need to find one of these. So hopefully somebody's listening. Hopefully that person who's got it hanging on their wall goes, you know what, I've been listening to Joe talk about this long enough. I'm going to reach out. So, and he said, uh, I would appreciate that. So. It to you and you'd be also. <laughs> That's what I want to hear. That's good. That's good. Me too. Me too, Captain. And, and once so. again, we have an incredible – an incredible collector talking about his collection on, on the show. And it just, uh, it's so cool to read, you know, somebody has that many cards of the Patriots for, in this case, and passionate collector, passionate about their collections, having fun with it. It's what this hobby is all about. Yeah. I, I wish there were more Jasons in the hobby to be very honest with you. Yeah, you're, and you're, I know you agree with me. Totally. You heard him say it though. I mean, think about all the parallels and, and subsets to, you know, he he said it. There are more Tom Brady cards now than there are, you know. Yeah. Just, oh yeah. yeah. You know, that, 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 that's a tough one. That's a tough one to wrap your arms around the, you know, 156, you know, different Brady variations. You know, for 2009 or 2019. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Makes it tough. That's crazy. It's crazy. 
All right, we're down in about 30 seconds. If you're not a subscriber, what are you waiting for? Check us out at gridirongreatsmagazine.com for subscription information. Uh, we're going to be back next week with another show with another uh, amazing coll- collector and his collection we're going to talk about. Five seconds, Joe. Any quick final thoughts? What are you waiting for? If you're a listener and not a, not a subscriber, please subscribe. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Take care. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.